Today we're continuing our sermon series on God's promises. And we have been dealing with God's promises that go all the way back to the beginning of our faith story in Genesis. We started this sermon series talking about the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve. And then we went from there to the promise that was given to Abraham to be the father of a great nation. And basically our understanding of our heritage, our faith heritage, going back to Abraham and Sarah. And then uh, we talked about Noah and the great promise given to us through Noah. And today we're going to talk about the promise that God gives to us through Moses that he received at the foot of Mount Sinai. So the promise made to the people through Moses was renewed um, through the centuries. And we have in our biblical literature how Hosea and how David and, and others have renewed that promise, that commitment on our part to the promise that God has given. And then in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah talked about a new covenant that we as Christians believe was fulfilled in the person of Jesus and in his coming. We remember as Jesus lifted the cup up in the last supper and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then gave us the great commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So the covenant or the promise that we're talking about today simply speaks to us about God's commitment to his people. And who we are is those who are showered with blessings from God as we walk faithfully in his way and as we accept and we trust and we obey what God has said he wants us to be about as God's people. I'd like for you to turn with me to Exodus, the 19th chapter. And we're going to read the first nine verses of the 19th chapter of Exodus. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. But you shall be for me a priestly covenant and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people all answered as one. Everything that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord, and then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you, and so trust you 
ever after. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to start with a couple of questions. And I think we do well to be very clear about our answers concerning these questions. And the first one is, who are God's people? Who are the chosen people of God? And is there one race, one nation, one people of God that God claims is his own? Think about that. You know, I think we have to be very careful with this passage and and with the promises of God that are given to God's people in our understanding of what does it mean to be God's people, the chosen Because a misunderstanding of that can lead us to a superiority complex or even worse, a supremist reality concerning the chosen people. Do you remember a few months ago, of course you do, Charlottesville, and the riots that converged on that city with the white supremacist group, some Nazis among them and others, and the group that gathered in opposition of them and how they converged and it wasn't a pretty sight. And and there was a car that ran through a crowd of people leaving one young woman dead and several others injured. Do you remember the chant? That was the chant that seemed to center the hatred that this event seemed to be about. Blood and soil, which sadly enough was and is the chant or the slogan that, um, uh, that is that of the Nazis. Blood is about our descendants, our ancestry, our heritage, and soil is about the land or the territory that is ours. Now, this philosophy of blood and soil is attributed to the prominent Nazi theorist, Richard Walther Dari. In 1930, three years before becoming Hitler's minister of food and agriculture, Dari maintained that the preservation of the Nordic race was inextricably tied to Germany's agrarian population. And so the blood and soil idea uplifted the farmers as the national heroes um, that would protect the purity of Germany. And the ideology also helped the Nazi party blame the decline of Germany's rural class on the Jews. Nazi propaganda usually depicted the Jewish Germans as bankers and merchants and a stark contrast to those they were glorifying uh, these rural and to some degree peasant farmers. Dari and Hitler argued that these were the backbone in the future of Germany and despised the Jews. By uplifting this slogan, blood and soil, and, and uplifting a race above all other races, it led to the extermination of six million or more Jews in the Holocaust, not just in Germany, but throughout Europe. 
So what does it mean to be God's chosen people? Is this about race? Is this about nation? Is this about blood and soil? I mean, we even know that the, um, the Israelis can use that understanding of blood and soil to some degree as they see their land and what is not the land of Palestinians and the wars that have entailed and the terrorism that is entailed related to those skirmishes that go back for years. What is this about to be God's chosen people? I think, first of all, what we need to say is it it all goes back to that promise from God that we need to hear. We are a people who are the recipients of a promise. And that promise entails commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments that Moses was given that were the instructions of all who were called God's people. And we see that that faithfulness in keeping those commandments was brought to Abraham, who was the one who uh, was the father of the great nations. And then by the time we get to Moses, those descendants of Abraham are now enslaved in bondage in Egypt. Same people. And so... God commissioned Moses to bring these people out of slavery and bondage, and he did, and they end up in the wilderness, and they're wandering in the wilderness before the promised land. They're given these commandments. And the people not only receive those commandments, but by the time we get to the Christian part of this story, there have been put together the Pharisaic or the Levitical laws, not just 10 commandments, but now over 600 laws that the people are supposed to adhere to and they find themselves in bondage to their own law. And, and also the Roman conquerors come in and then the people of God uh, find themselves in bondage to an outside invader. And it's in the midst of this story and this history that God becomes human in the person of Jesus Christ. And God delivers the people from the bondage of the law to an understanding of God's grace and the supreme commandment to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or, as he said in that upper room, to love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's what the rest of the commandments are about. And so to be God's people is a matter of grace. It's a matter of God seeing us in the midst of bondage through the centuries and offering us a gift of grace to be his people. Now, I want to say first this morning that each and every one of us have a right to call ourselves God's people, God's chosen because of our creation. For one thing, We know ourselves as God's people because we were created in the image of God. And the text today says, You shall be my possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. See, God's not focused on just one people, but God is focused on all the earth is mine. God focuses on one people in order to to push his commandments out among the peoples, but God sees the earth and all of creation as his. 
So humanity stands above all creatures because we are created in the image of God. And in that image, we have spiritual capacity. We have the capacity to know God and and to know ourselves as gods. We have the capacity and the will to choose, to choose God and God's ways or to choose to reject God and God's ways. We are homemade products of the almighty God. And this gives us an inherent value and worth and dignity. And we're called not only to see that as our gift, but to see that as the gift of all of us brothers and sisters in God. Brothers and sisters who all deserve that kind of dignity, no matter our class, no matter our race, no matter our nation, we belong to God and we are kin to one another. We have the dignity of being human and divinely made. We have the inerrant human rights to be considered and to be treated as human beings. No person, no government, no human force of any kind can deprive us of who we are as created by God, in God's image. And we're called to a cause to make sure that that right and that understanding of who we are is not only our gift, but it's the gift of sisters and brothers. And that's a cause that we commit ourselves to. That's why in the light of injustice and depression and persecution, we're called not to be silent, not to be seated, but to stand up and speak out of who we are as chosen people of God. I want to say one more thing. We can say that we are the chosen people of God by virtue of our redemption. This too is a gift from God. Nothing we deserve, nothing we earn, but it's a gift given to us, a gift of grace, our redemption. And there's a lot of difference between creation and redemption, between creature and children of God. In this text that we read today, God tells the people, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And I think we do well to notice that God doesn't... uh, doesn't look kindly upon those who persecute um, and, and torture his people. And so God said, you see what I did to the Egyptians. Why? Because the Egyptians were those who persecuted and who tormented um, God's children. They didn't see their kinship with the Israelites. And God said, I bore you up on eagle's wings. I freed you from that bondage. I gave you the promised land. I think it's important for us to see the Exodus story that is what Moses is all about is the first story of our larger faith story of redemption. God bears us up on eagle's wings and frees us from any kind of bondage that would separate us from other people and seeing ourselves as superior to other people. 
And we also know that we too are lost in the slavery to sin and death. And we can't free ourselves from that. So we as Christians embrace the other part of this story, that God in becoming a human in the person of Jesus Christ, he became like like eagle's wings and lifted us up with a new kind of understanding of blood and soil. For it was the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross on the soil of Golgotha that stands as the supreme example of our redemption. And that the power of the enemy or the power of, of sin and death cannot ultimately overtake us because God has redeemed his people. And we are those who know that redemption in Christ because we are God's chosen people, created and redeemed by the God who loves us. And as God's people, we the church are assembled as a community to witness to the God who loves all of his creation, every single one of us. And who calls us to that understanding of seeing God as the God who lifts us up on eagle's wings, always has and always will. And because of our creation and our redemption, we are called to an understanding that we have entered a covenant with God, that God has extended his grace and in us receiving that grace and that understanding of who we are then we're called to live out that great commandment to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor even as Christ, as God himself would love us. That's a pretty tall order. We, as God's covenant people, are called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. Friends, if we are God's people and are faithful to the covenant, there's one more little piece of this promise that I want to focus on as we close. And that is we are called to be a holy nation. What on earth does that mean? To be a holy nation. There's probably more misunderstanding of what it means to be a holy nation than anything else this promise is all about. You know, I want to say as a citizen of the United States of America that freedom of speech is wonderful, but it's not always very attractive, is it? Think about it. It's wonderful, but it's not always beautiful. Now, I'm thinking about it because on Friday I saw a car that underscored uh, uh, the wonderful aspect of freedom of speech and, to some degree, the ugliness of it. For this car was covered with bumper stickers. I mean, not just on the bumper, but on the window and on uh, the, the back of the trunk. And I mean, there were bumper stickers everywhere. There was statements made about nearly everything. Have you ever found yourself looking at a car such as that and just said, wonder what's going on here? 
Well, you know, when you're a preacher and you're writing a sermon and, you know, by the time Friday gets around here, you've been dealing with this text like all week and all of a sudden it's rolling through your mind that that God has promised that we are called to be a holy nation and all of a sudden, whoom, there's the car. Let me see if I can paint a picture for you. There was a bumper sticker with deer antlers. Now, I've seen these bumper stickers before. There are no words. They don't really need a word. I think what that means is that person's a deer hunter. And, and then there was another bunker, bumper sticker that said, Southern born, Southern bred. And it was on um, a, a, a rebel battle flag background, okay? So somebody's proud of being Southern. I get that. And then there was a bumper sticker that said, back the blue, which I can certainly support with all my heart. And, and then right beside back the blue, there was another rebel battle flag. And I wondered, what, what, what's going on here? And then we move on to a little bit more uh, religious flavor. There's a bumper sticker with a big cross in the middle that says redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And then the bumper sticker that said one nation under God. And I know there were other bumper stickers and there was a plethora of bumper stickers of different political candidates. Uh, Of course, it was the Friday after the election. So you can only imagine this car. Now listen to me in light of this biblical text and what it means to be a holy nation. No worldly nation in itself is a people of God, not even Americans. We can say the phrases one nation under God, are in God we trust. But these words don't make us, the United States, a holy nation, right? Never has our federal government espoused the cause of Christ. In fact, we're a secular nation separated separating the church and the state by design, by constitutional right. In fact, there are various religions flourishing in our great land by design. We're not all intended to be Christians or Jews or Muslims. But in this great land, a plethora of people and religions. Our text calls God's people a holy nation. And in a sense, we are an entity scattered among all nations, including our nation. And the emphasis is not on nation, it's on holy. You see, we are called to a higher cause as people of God higher than any nationalistic or any 
political cause. We are called to the causes of Christ and the commitment to our almighty God who calls us to an unusual love of God and neighbor. When we hear that we're to be a holy nation, we know that we are called, no matter where, whether we're here in the United States or whether we're in this country or that country, that nation or this nation, to be the people of God, to bring that leaven in the loaf, to make God's way and God's will one that people are attracted to live by and into. It's our call. Jesus said, go therefore into all and make Christians of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them all that I have commanded you. What it means to be not only God's people created in the image of God, redeemed by God in the Son, Jesus Christ, a covenant people. It means that we are called to a holiness. To be holy is different from the world. God is holy. The world is sinful. The world is imperfect. God is perfect. To be holy is to be about the work of God in this world. A holy nation. And I think that prayer says it so well that this is what it means to be God's people, a holy nation. It means that we pray, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred. Let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, Let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned and it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. You are God's chosen people. You are the descendants of Abraham. Those who have inherited the commandments that God gave to Moses. You are the ones created to be God's people and redeemed to be God's people. You are the people of the covenant. And it's not about your race. 
It's not about your class. It's not even about your nation. It's not only about your Christian faith. The banner we carry is not a flag, but a cross that calls us to be a holy nation about the things that make for peace. Amen.